Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Live Your Raw Life podcast. Welcome to the platform where the intention is to help you live your rich, authentically aligned, wholesome life. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Watkins. Together, let's raise our vibrations and awareness in order for you to live the raw life that was meant for you. Welcome back to the Live Your Raw Life podcast, and thank you for being here with me. I am so giddy with excitement to share this week. So many beautiful connections have been made in my heart and in my mind. Right now, I am sitting out on our little patio thing of our camper, staring out at some amazing landscape. We are currently back in Rifle with Isaac. We are all together and it feels really nice and almost like normal, I guess. Um, We've been traveling for the last week or so for Isaac's work and it took us to the far most southwest corner of Colorado. We saw some beautiful parts of our country along with this state. Some parts were so like blow your mind gorgeous that it was really hard to comprehend that it was actually real. It, it was just spectacular. I, I love nature so much. It's so great. I've been searching for the words and just really how to proceed right now. I really want to honor what is happening in the world. And I, I've been gearing the show to really connect with the physical health component But like I said in episode two, we are all interconnected. Everything is interconnected. Therefore, what came through this week is the connectedness of it all. And I'm going to share very authentically and very genuinely. It's going to be very, very raw, very real. I feel like there's so much I don't know. Like I missed out on really important things in school In fact, when Isaac and I got married, um, he would tell me things and I would always say, where, how do you know that? Like, where did you hear that? Or where did you read that? School was always his answer. And then I remember thinking so many times, like, why didn't I learn that in school? Or they didn't teach us that at my school. Um, I went to a private school and so it was a little bit different than his public school upbringing. That's a whole nother conversation. The thing that I remember most from school, though, in regards to content, were the history lessons that taught us about Native Americans. It was by far my favorite part of every year. Anytime they came up, I was all ears. And I remember looking at the pictures in in our textbooks, and I was just so drawn to them, often like getting lost in daydreams about being in that space. The famous one is the photo that we always see from Mesa Verde with the ruins and the ladders. And um, that really just stuck with me every lesson, every time it came up. Then a few years, you know, that was, of course, when I was like in grade school, so super young. And then years later, I found out that I was part Native American and it was like, a, yes, I was connected to the culture. Well, that just explained so much for me and my draw to that specific content in school. 
And for many years, I just lived being so proud of the fact that I was part Native American. However, I never really did any research about traditions or practices or like the true history of the culture. I did take one Ojibwe class in college, and it was hands down my favorite college course. I would come home on the days that I had that class, and I would tell Isaac everything I learned from the meanings of what each part of the staff meant to the hierarchies of the families. In fact, there was one day that my professor drew this outline on the board, and he said, who can tell me what, that, what this is? And I raised my hand, and I was the only one raising their hand. He kind of gave me that look like, uh-huh, try. He goes, go for it. And I said, sleeping giant. And he goes, how did you know that? And I go, I went there on my honeymoon. Isaac and I had traveled up to Canada, and we stayed at a provincial park up there, and it was sleeping giant, absolutely gorgeous. And he was just like so dumbfounded. I'm sure I'm one of the only people in any of his classes that knew what it was that he drew on the board. But I would come home and I would tell Isaac all these things. And there was so much excitement and love and passion behind everything that I shared with him. I, I can picture it and remember it so clearly today. And, you know, if any of you are following me, on Instagram, you know that we were actually able to just visit Mesa Verde. And honestly, it was like a dream. I had butterflies in my stomach. There's like this long, windy road that you have to drive up to get back into where the ruins are. And that whole time we were driving up that road, I had like these butterflies in my belly. And it was just because there was so much excitement, but it was also mixed with these emotions that I honestly cannot articulate, and I still can't. I just knew that this was a space I needed to be in, I needed to see. It was amazing. Now, as we kind of walked through and and made our way through the various ruins, they have like little spots you can stop along the way, and then they have, of course, the big one, which is um, you cannot do the guided tours right now due to COVID, and there was some trail repair. But we did get on this path. It was like a three mile loop. It was called, I think the Petroglyph Point Trail or something like that. It was absolutely beautiful. And we were able to walk on the outside of the ruins so we could still see them, just not super up close. And as I soaked those ruins in, I just let my imagination take over and really visualize. And some of the signs actually suggested that you do that, but I could visualize food being prepared by the woman, men standing, having conversation, kids like running around and being silly as they danced upon the earth. And what I remember most is thinking like being a young teen and meeting off in some of like the nooks and crannies of the canyon walls and just like connecting and flirting. And uh, it was just so amazing. I, I loved it. Now, I said last week um, in my podcast with Karen, episode 14, that I wish I was full Native American. And Karen, in her super loving way, pushed back on that a little. And her response was absolutely perfect. Um, It was exactly what I needed to hear. Because after that conversation, 
I told Isaac, I said, I'm really interested in learning more about the native culture and maybe finding like a native American shaman or something to that effect. But I, I'm just feeling really pulled to know more. So, um, we were actually back on the front range during all of these conversations. And, and he told me later that night after I told him this, that he goes, I ordered you a book, um, but I'm going to have it delivered here. So it should get here when you and the boys get back to rifle. And I was like, okay, sweet. And he told me a little bit about what it was. And then I kind of forgot about it just because I was planning and packing and everything else. So he ordered this book for me. And I just got it yesterday and I asked him, how did you choose this book? Because it was, ugh, it's, it's amazing. Anyway, he, I asked, how did you choose this book? And he goes, it just kept popping up on Amazon and like it had the most like re positive reviews. And so that's the one I chose. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. Now, Isaac always has this way of knowing exactly what I need. He is the one that told me to go to yoga. He didn't practice yoga. He just kept telling me to go. And he was like, I just think that you'll really like it. And now that you know I'm all yoga certified, we learned that last week in episode 14. Um, I guess he was right. I do love yoga and I need yoga. I notice when I don't practice yoga that my body feels really out of alignment. And so when this book came... Um, I read the inside uh, cover and I was like, yeah, uh, I think he's right again. I think he nailed it. And I was like, I think I just need to read this book right now. I'm in the middle of reading another book. It's a Joe Dispenza book, which I talked a, a, quite a bit about him on the show. It's a great book and um, I'll include that in the links as well. It's called Becoming Supernatural by Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Great, amazing book. But there's something about this book that he ordered me that I was like, I, I can't wait. And usually I have to finish a book before I can start a new one. Uh, I'm not waiting. I, I, definitely, I definitely feel really pulled and I just have to read this book right now. It cannot wait. So last night after I had a horrendous mishap draining the gray water in the camper, it was awful. Um, I showered and then I slipped into bed with my headlamp on while all of my boys were sleeping, more like snoring around me. And I started to read this book. Oh my gosh. It, it's, I, there's not a place for me where I felt like I could put it down, but there's so much I want to share from this because it was like light bulbs and connections were all being drawn and made and it was absolutely beautiful. So the book is called The Wind is My Mother, The Life and Teachings of a Native American Shaman by Bearheart with Molly Larkin. I'm going to include a link to this book in the show notes as well because it's, it's so profound. It, it just, it's blowing me away. I, I'm finding myself smiling and laughing and feeling he does such an incredible job of how he words everything. I can feel the emotion behind his words. It's super, super powerful. So I'm going to share a little bit uh, from the book just to um, 
kind of give you a little glimpse on what I believe Karen was talking about last week when she kind of pushed back with me saying, I wish I was full Native American and um, share some excerpts. So it reads, my name is Nokus Feke Amatha Tustanaki. In your language, it means bear heart. I'm also known as Marcellus Williams, and I was born in the state of Oklahoma in 1918. My tribe is Muscogee, and we originally lived along the waterways of what is now Georgia and Alabama. The Europeans who eventually settled in that area didn't know of us as the Muskeans. They simply referred to us by our habitat, the Indians who live by the creeks. The name prevailed, so we are commonly known as Creek Indians, but in fact, we are the Muscogee Nation. In 1832, President Andrew Jackson signed an order to remove the native tribes from the southeastern United States, and it was then that the Muscogee were moved along with the Chickasaws, Choctaws, and Cherokees. We walked all the way from our homes to quote-unquote Indian Territory, which later became Oklahoma. That's a Choctaw word meaning land of the red man. History has recorded that removal, but never once have the emotions been included in that record. What our people, what our people felt, what they had to leave behind, the sh- hardships they had to endure. The removal was forced. We were given no choice about it. When our people refused to leave their homes, soldiers would wrench a little child from the arms of his mother and bash his head against a tree saying, go or we'll do likewise to all the children here. It's said that some of the soldiers took their sabers and slashed pregnant women down the front, cut them open. That's how our people were forced from their homeland. Our people walked the entire distance from sunup to sundown herded along by soldiers on horseback. When our old people died along the way, there, were, there was no time allowed to give them a decent burial. Many of our loved ones were left in ravines, their bodies covered with leaves and brush, because our people were forced to go on. It was a long walk. People got very tired, and the children could not keep up with the adults. So people would carry them, handing them back and forth but they didn't have the endurance to carry them all the time. So some of the children and their mothers had to be left behind. Those are just some of the hardships our people endured on that walk. And out of those injustices came much lamenting and crying. So our people called it the Trail of Tears. I knew a man who went on that long walk as a child and he told me about it. At one point, the people and the few horses they had were put on 12 dilapidated ferry boats to cross the Mississippi River. The ferry started sinking, so he grabbed his little sister, got on a horse, and headed for shore, all the while chased by soldiers who didn't want him riding. He was trying to hurry, but the horse had to swim and was frightened from the commotion, so it was slow going. He had seen how brutal the soldiers could be and how the ferries were intentionally overloaded to make them sink. So he was making a break for his life. Someone came up behind him on another horse and grabbed his sister. I was crying when I got to the shore, he said, because I thought the soldiers took my sister. 
but I found out later one of my own people had helped me out. Many of our people died crossing the Mississippi. When the survivors got across the river, many were soaked from swimming and it was freezing cold. One old woman, confused and exhausted from the ordeal, had no idea where she was. She thought she was back home and started giving instructions to the young ones. Follow that trail and where it forks, there's some dry sticks on the ground. Gather them and build a fire to warm the people. She remembered where to find firewood at home, and in her own mind, she thought she was there. Surely, she wished she was there. My great-great-grandmother was on that forced march. No matter what kind of weather they had to go on, and walking in the snow without any shoes, her feet froze. Gangrene set in, and her feet literally dropped from her legs. She's buried at Fort Gibson, Oklahoma but there's no name on those markers. Just many, many crosses where our people died without recognition. I don't know where her grave is, but she's there among them. Even after we settled, that was not the end of our problems. Our children were taken from their parents and forced to go to boarding school where they were not allowed to speak their native tongues. They had to speak English. The boarding school was a government school, so they had to march to and from class, make up their beds, do everything as if it were a military camp. This was forced upon our young children. Back then, Native people took pride in their long hair, but the children had to have their hair cut short. Sometimes the administrators would just put a bowl over a child's head and cut around it. Then they would laugh at the child. Those are just some of the things that we endured. And yet today in our ceremonies, many of our people still pray for all mankind. Whether they be black, yellow, red, or white. How is it possible with a background like that among our people to put out such love? Mm. Last night when I read this, it hit me. It hit me so hard. It sounds so familiar to what's happening. Building borders and ripping kids from their parents. Families are torn apart. It's a, dis it's a disgusting horrible situation and it makes me see my privilege hmm. how is it possible with a background like that among our people to put out such love so as a white person I'm realizing that I'm not going to get it right and what I'm hearing on so many podcasts from black people saying, that's okay. They see those that are trying, and that is something. We should all try. And that is how we can collectively make change. So maybe you hold back on that comment or that joke. I don't know. Maybe you do research. Maybe you read some books. Maybe you listen to podcasts. You, you have to do what feels right 
to help you make the collective change. For me, I'm going to become aware of the judgments in my head. Not the judgments that I have of myself. Those are important. But the judgments that I have of others. Because I see now. I see that when we make those judgments on others, we truly are a mirror. Those judgments are coming from a place in me that is not doing okay. My intuitive that I see always tells me, we're just a bunch of mirrors walking around. What you see in the mirror, so what you see in others, maybe material goods or brands, etc., that lack maybe that you're seeing or, or whatever that looks like, that's being right, reflected right back at us. And on top of that, we literally have no idea what it's like to walk around in other people's shoes, in their life or in their mind or in their physical body, what they've endured. We have no clue. In regards to this, um, something else came up in the book last night. And it was just so beautifully put. I want to share it with you. Bear Hart writes in the book, Jonas Bear once took me down to a pond and told me, look into it, asking, what do you see? I see my reflection. Put this stick in the water and stir up your reflection. After I stirred it up, he asked, now, what do you see? My face is all distorted. Do you like what you see? I know that it's not supposed to be that way. When you meet someone and you immediately dislike them, always remember you are seeing a reflection of yourself. There is something you don't like about yourself that you're not owning up to. When you see it in someone else, then you don't like that person. But in reality, you are being displeased with yourself. Always remember that. He was not a psychology teacher. He'd never even heard the word psychology. Along with that teaching, he said, some children are born deformed, perhaps without arms or legs or disfigured on the face somehow. Maybe one side of the eye is totally missing, all covered up with flesh. It's our teaching, and we're very strict about it, to never stare at someone who has a deformity. Just look to one side and try not to keep looking at them. The reason is that whatever caused the deformity is going to think you like it so much that maybe it will cause your child to be born that way. Accept the child. They may look different, but they've got a heart just like you have. They have feelings just like you have. Play with them. Make them laugh if you can. What I hear when I, when I read this is we're all here to do our work. We need to work to make our lives more. More rich, more authentic, and more whole. Bearheart also wrote, As a child I was taught, quote, Chaban, the way to attain the beauty in life is through harmony. Be in harmony with all things, but most important, be in harmony with yourself first. A lot will go on in our life, some good, some bad. People may argue and some will try to take 
control of your life. But that one word, harmony, will neutralize any problems and help your life to become beautiful. Harmony. I talked about moderation and balance was the word I used. I think moving forward, I'm going to replace the word balance with harmony. It speaks to me. It's more clear. It's not a commonly used word. And it's so important to be, I think, in harmony with nature, in harmony with those around us, in harmony with the animals that surround us. We're all connected. So harmonize with that connectedness. As within, so without. So with that, I ask, what are you going to do? Hmm. If something resonated with you this week, please subscribe to the Live Your Raw Life podcast and leave a review while you are there. Every time a review or rating is received, it opens the platform that allows the show to reach a wider range of listeners. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast. Thank you for your time, energy, and presence. I am grateful for your motivation to improve your quality of life. Heal yourself. Heal the world. It's always an adventure. Adventure awaits.